Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome along to the WTF1 podcast, Saudi Arabia race review. It was all teed up to be quite an exciting race after qualifying, uh, but did it quite deliver? Well, for Sergio Perez, it certainly did. A seamless drive saw him take another Grand Prix win in his first of the year, while Max Verstappen, his teammate, battled from 15th to second place with some fastest lap bonus point politics along the way. But despite Red Bull showing their dominance, once again, uh, there were still some nice moments from the second race of the year. And here to discuss them all with myself, Harry Benjamin, our WTF1. Dre Harrison and Charlie Williams. And Charlie, I suppose this race was really built up to be quite exciting after qualifying. You know, we had Verstappen down there, Leclerc as well, outside of the top 10. But I was felt I felt a little bit deflated after the race. How did I how about you? Yeah, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't up there with one of the greatest of all time, was it? Um I don't know. I I never really expect much from Saudi Arabia. I don't think apart from 2021 where we had the obvious happen, which I think we'll 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 steer away from mentioning again. Um it doesn't ever bring an exciting race for me. It's not a race that I ever look forward to going to either. Um so I wasn't really expecting too much, but yeah, it didn't really give what I thought it was going to give with um Verstappen starting in P15. I mean, I think our WTF1 predictions, Dre was the only one that actually predicted a Perez win. <laughs> the rest well of done, us, Dre. Thank you. Thank you. Them. I'm here all week. Thank you. Uh, my lottery numbers are 3, 10, 17, 25, <laughs> yeah. etc. Yeah. I mean, I went for an Alonso win. I was feeling very optimistic. So um, clearly that didn't come through on track. So uh, yeah, I don't know what you thought about it, Dre. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the thing is, is that I think the racing in Saudi Arabia has genuinely been good so far. I feel like last year, I think the Leclerc-Verstappen fight was one of the better fights we had all year, wheel to wheel. Back when we had such hope and optimism about the state of play in the 2022 season. And again, 2021, we can't say it wasn't dramatic, but I think that was more down to the title fight itself and the drivers more than the track. So I think there's, it's been a bit of a mixed bag for Saudi Arabia so far. I'm inclined to agree that I, I described it on our WTF1 rappers, one of the races of all time. And I didn't mean that in a good or a bad way. It was a race that existed. It happened. It goes down in the books. It's an F1 race that happened um, for me more than anything else. I think it was, there were some highlights. I think the midfield, I think, carried a lot of the action here. And there was always going to be a, a, level, a level of curiosity and intrigue as to how far Verstappen would go up the field, because we know the Red Bull is quick. That goes without saying. But was it quick enough to be able to win? And unfortunately, it, it hit the roadblock when it got to second, and it was just like, well, Perez is too good today. I guess that's going to be it then. And that was well, the- Hang on. That's not normal. I know I don't want to do Sergio Perez a disservice here, but I think everybody kind of expected Max Verstappen to make his way through the field a lot quicker than what he actually did. And even when he was then in second, Perez was able to keep that gap to near on five seconds 
for the end of the race. And I'm pretty sure Verstappen would have been pushing. He wanted that win. He was very feisty in the post-race com- uh, press conference afterwards. So I'm not happy with second whatsoever. I'm not here to finish second. So I think actually, although we talk about Red Bull dominance, you know, mm. second race of the year, that was a bit of a surprise. Perez was so close to leading the championship were it not for that fastest point, uh, fastest lap point. Yeah, I, I think there is definitely something to that. I mean... Yeah, like I did actually to a degree think that Verstappen was going to pick him off a little bit quicker than that. I think Verstappen himself was quite conservative in the in that first part of the race. He was taking his time more with the DRS zones. He was setting people up at the, at the end of the final corner when he maybe could have um, taken a lunge into that final turn 27, that last hairpin before the main straight. I think he'd been watching a lot of the Formula 2 action where guys I think were a little bit afraid of being a sitting duck going down to start a new lap and that turn one passing opportunity instead. But I think there is, I think you got a point there, Harry, in that I think Max, I think some people were thinking this was going to be another Belgium from last year where Max was, was leading by, what was it, lap 14 or something silly like that. So the mm. fact that it was only second and then Perez was more than a match for him once they were both in open air, I guess is a little bit of hope if that makes you feel better about a race that maybe one, wasn't. One classic. can dream, one <laughs> can dream, can't they? Well, look, uh, we're going to talk about some of our, our WTF moments from the race uh, because you, you probably know the rundown by now. The podium was Perez, Verstappen, and George Russell in the end, Charlie, wasn't it? Because. Well, Fernando Alonso was on the podium. He got all the celebrations. He held the trophy. He sprayed the champagne. He did his five-second penalty, which he got uh, for an infringement for his uh, race start. He was slightly too far left in his grid box. They served it under the safety car, but now there's all sorts of problems about did any of the mechanics touch the car too early, particularly the rear jack man still being investigated, but they got a slam dunk 10-second time penalty at the end of the race, which cost him the podium he didn't seem too annoyed after the race but how can that be allowed to happen it right after the checkered flag when he served the pit stop well before surely the stewards would have had time to have dissected that and all the camera angles and given the penalty during the race yeah, I mean, it took more than 30 laps isn't it, for a decision for Alonso's penalty. Um, it just isn't quite good enough, really, is it? I mean, I've, I've in the time from our stream to now, I've been looking through some transcripts um, and someone asked Alonso whether the rules should come back. I think it wasn't it 25 minutes that they had to decide a penalty in. I want to say um, 35, but yeah, quite right. 35, right. And um, he was like, no, common sense needs to come back. And I think what? that is yes. the... That is the most Alonso response to anything. Um, but I really agree with him. I don't think it should take that long for the FIA to come up with a decision on whether they're going to give a penalty, especially that kind of penalty, to a driver. I mean, Ocon's was pretty straightforward. They kind of did that, just rolling straight away. It was like that real meme where they're just like spreading out the penalties as they go to him. So why weren't they like that with Alonso? Um, and it's moments like that that I think like in damage, like really damage the integrity of the sport because, and it probably is just our minds, but it's those kind of things that happen where the conspiracies come from in that, oh, they wanted Alonso to lose. And then it starts like the rolling of like toxicity because the, the FIA are inept of making quick decisions when they matter. Strong words. Strong that was a, words, that was a rant. I ranted. It was a rant. But I think... I, <laughs> I think you're right. Dre, how do you feel? I mean, Fernando Alonso said, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not too upset, but 
I think the fans lost out here because it once again shows that the FIA and the stewards couldn't make that decision quick enough when you think they have all of the opportunities to do so in time. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a bad look on TV. I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush. Formula One is a televised product. It's a massively televised product. It's not a good look when you've got the podium celebration. Everybody's in front of the podium. You've seen the celebration. That's the natural conclusion to the race weekend. And five minutes later, we're finding out, oh, by the way, Alonso's been clapped with a 10-second time penalty. He's not on the podium. It's actually George Russell. You're robbing George Russell of his moment, one that he would deserve to have a chance to go on the podium and collect what was Mercedes. Mercedes first podium of the year, let's not forget, um, after a tricky start to their season. And just in like the fans are not the like the it's hard for the fans to stay informed because again, many of them probably would have tuned out by the time Alonso's penalty was officially announced. You'd have to either look for it on social media or read it in the newspaper the next morning. Let's let's not forget F1's got a lot of older viewers. So that probably doesn't help either. In the FIA's small defense. It wasn't an obvious decision to make. They had, like, I, I think a lot of this was also down to Mercedes getting very pushy about complaining about the fact that they thought there was a, there was an argument. I think the narrative during the race itself was that maybe Alonso didn't stay stationary for five seconds before they worked on the car. And then it became, if you slow down the footage, like you're watching VAR on a football decision where it's like, oh, this rear jack very slightly grazes the rear of Alonso's car. And then that's what, oh yeah, okay, that's it. That's, we, we've drawn the VAR lines in for offside. That's that, that's our penalty now. And yeah, I, I, I've, I do agree with, with Charlie's sentiment on, on, on the most part that, yeah, I think the FIA needs to turn this around quicker. The best thing you can do as a sport is keep your fans informed at the end of the day. And if you're not doing that, then people are going to get frustrated. We've just come off the WTF1 rap and the amount of angry Alonso fans in the comments, not even necessarily angry with the decision, but angry with the process behind it, Mm. says it all. Well, can, can I? This is what this is what the regulation says, right? Mm-hmm. Whilst the car is stationary in the pit lane as a result of incurring a penalty in accordance with Articles fifty four point three A or fifty four point three B, blah blah blah, above, it may not be worked on until the car has been stationary for the duration of the penalty. Now, that rear jack slightly glancing the rear end of that Aston Martin does that define working on a car? I don't think so. Uh, see, when I first watched the replays, me and my boyfriend were sat here like on the sofa, kind of like, he was like, that's that's a slum, slam dunk penalty. And I was like, I can't even see where that jacket is like, it's even touching the car. And I was like, are you sure it's not just like edging towards the car? Like, you know, like kind of just getting ready to go because that's what it looked like to me. So I wasn't even convinced that it was a penalty. And then when it came through that it actually was, I was like, on what grounds? Because I, like you say, I don't think that counts. I I think it's a very fine line. And if, if the FAA are going to start, you know, just whacking out penalties for that, then, you know, you might as well add another like second or two to the penalty if that's the case. Yeah, well, what I was going to say on top of that, Charlie, is that the wording of the rule leaves it vague and leaves a bit of a grey area. Well, Where have we heard that before? Oh, never. It never comes up in the officiating of this sport, ever. Not in a million years that it might be an interpretation of the rules that a team might have missed. But 
what's the finders work on the car like like if you if you're a pit if you're a pit crew logically you want to give yourself as as little time lost as possible when the car is sat there during the penalty of course you're going to slide the jack underneath maybe not necessarily lift the car up using said jack but you want to lose as little time as possible in that transition from serving your five seconds to actually working on the car like you normally would for a box standard pit stop so what's the finders working on the car i I don't know and if it's true that they've slowed down the footage like again like a game of football and they've seen oh this rear jack very lightly grazes the back of, of alonso's car that's not working on the car i think that's preposterous i think i think even the most hardcore of lawyers would find that a stretch to defend in a court to say that, oh yeah, that Jackman was totally working on the car when it grazed the brake light of, Alon- of Alonso's Aston Martin. I think it's, it, I think the whole thing is a little bit silly. Yes, I get it. Rules are rules. But I think the rule itself may need clarification because the fact that Merck's were making such a strong argument during the race itself, we heard the radio messages about having Russell potentially pushed to keep the gap within five because he thought there might be another penalty due. It's it's confusing. And then all it ends up is that no one wins. Fans are confused. The drivers are confused. The negativity spills out because we have to vent our spleens on social media. No one wins in these scenarios. It's bad for everybody. No, no one likes a race result uh, changed after the checkered flag, do they? It's never fun. But for the time being, he is in fourth place and George Russell gets that podium. Um, but Fernando Alonso's teammate, right? I just want to bring this up. Lance Stroll uh, retired from the race with uh, a suspected energy recovery issue, um, according to Aston Martin. Brought out the safety car. Charlie, as much as I enjoyed the safety car coming out because I feel like the race did need that to happen and to make it slightly more exciting. Um, definitely didn't look like it really needed the safety car to come out the way Lance parked that car behind a barrier. No, it didn't at all. I think I think even a virtual safety car would have been a push. Um, I think it was more a, it was a more a fan. Fans needed that safety car than um, it, the actual safety of the sport needed that safety car. Um, but I don't want to believe that we're, you know, making decisions based on entertainment anymore because we've gone totally past that in this sport, of course. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It wasn't needed. I mean, he was, <laughs> I did, it kind of just like when they said he stopped on track, I was like, oh, like, where is it? It was a double yellow flag. I was like, where is this car? And then it like cut to the cut to where he was. And I was like, have they already pulled him in? Like, if they, was that really quick work from the marshals? Are they are they these superheroes? Because I really I can't believe that that was even that was even considered to be a safety car. I think the part of the problem was was that the transponder inside the car was still on the track, and I think technically that's a minimum VSC. I've heard, I've heard rumblings around that that that's the regulations that if a car is still on the racing surface, it's at least a virtual safety car. And I think there might have also been a small fire risk because I think they had to put the ERS mm. out on the front of the car because I, I, I saw like the remnants of fire extinguisher fluid on front of the car. So I think that might have been part of the reason why. They pull the VSC. Again, I do get the argument, though, given it was parked up right in front of an escape road that you thought, hang on a minute, <laughs> in real time, like, 
Are we sure this warrants a safety car? And again, as Charlie says, if you're one of these people that are more cons- conspiracy minded, you're thinking an entertainment. Yeah, like, it's like NASCAR. <laughs> the competition caution comes out to bunch the field up again. And hey, Max, who's already come through the majority of the field, is now running fourth after that VSC in the pit stops and is right on top of the rest of the field. If I, I don't like fanning the flames of these theories because I think 95% of them are nonsense. But when the sport does that at face value, it's hard not to have that seed of doubt in the back of your head that yeah, something yeah. nasty is at play. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's sort of fun to speculate, but I, I I don't think that was anything to play for. I think the transponder thing does sound like a fairly valid uh, reason. And also, always better to err on the side of caution, right? And at the end of the day, I'm not going to have a go. We've got a safety car and that spiced things up, didn't it? So <laughs> little, uh, yeah. I'd say yeah. happy days in the end. Um, look, well, Lance Stroll sadly had to retire. So Aston Martin were down uh, to one car in the end. Uh, and not too long later, Alex Albon uh, in the Williams suffered an issue as well. Um, Williams confirmed it as an engine braking failure, something to do with the system there. Um, but the odd thing about this, Charlie, was that he sort of reported quite frantic over the team radio, right? He sounded like he just got into a wall and then suddenly we cut to a shot of Alex Albon going flat out racing with uh, Sargent and I think he was around uh, what Joe Guanyu at the time as well but then he starts to back off comes around the final corner and everyone thinks right he's, he's gonna go to pit lane but he doesn't he carries <laughs> on which seems like a bit of a bizarre moment yeah, when when he said that he had it because he he originally reported brake issues, didn't he? And he was like still like zooming round. I was literally screaming like, "Slow down, man! Slow down!" Because I was just like, "Oh no, there's going to be like a red flag." Oh, my mind went to the worst. But obviously, it wasn't that bad, thankfully. Um, I think it was a little bit silly for Alex not to go into the pit lane. But I think um, it was Bernie that said on the Sky Sports coverage that it's actually while they're on track and it's a problem like that, the engineers will be trying to sort that kind of thing whilst they're still on track. So I suppose that gave Alex a good enough reason to stay out and try and see if they could work it out for that, you know, that extra lap round. Um, he didn't cause a safety car and he did manage to get himself back round and into the pits on the next lap. So as much as, you know, we can say, oh, it was a bit silly on that first, first go, I suppose it's better to, um, <laughs> to to limp round for a lap and see if you can get going again rather than just, you know, go into the pit lane and then end up having a DNF for no reason. I, I have a Discord server I watch these races in with, with, with a lot of my friends. And I like as 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 Charlie quite rightly pointed out about the panic of um Albon and a suspected brake failure as he was going on. One of my friends murmurs in the background, it takes a pair of steel ones to hear you might have a brake failure and yet you're still going around at nearly 200 <laughs> miles an hour because Saudi <laughs> Arabia is so fast and it's like, he's going around here at 200 miles an hour with no brakes. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Um, so in, again, in real time, it was just chaos watching them like, wait, if this is a brake problem, why are you still going around the track? Um, and yeah, again, thankfully, it, it was more complicated than that. And again, like no harm done in the end. But again, in real time, chaos, chaos to watch. Chaos. Well, that was Alex Albon, who sadly uh, retired in the end. So no points on the board for Williams. Logan Sargent, after an epic qualifying as well, that deleted, started from the back, suffered in the race too. So Williams, not uh, as good uh, a Bahrain, not as good as Saudi Arabia as it was a Bahrain for them, battling for that final point. Uh, but Yuki Tsunoda, on the other hand, was once again in the battle for that final point, And he held it 
for quite a long time, Charlie, against Kevin Magnussen, who had a bit of a race recovery. He managed to uh, get the better of his teammate in the end, Nico Hulkenberg, who looked like he kind of had the better of K-Mag for most of the weekend. But what a move from K-Mag down the inside into turn one, proper old school, all the brakes locked up, tyres screeching down the inside, and he got that point. I didn't know who to bat on that end because I wanted them to both have the point. I felt like they both deserved it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, li- I like it when anybody does um, does over Yuki Snowda because I really do quite like hearing his his rather rash radios that come from <laughs> come from the car <laughs> afterwards. Um, me and Dre actually discussed this on the stream how close that midfield is. And now that we have like, well, we decided we haven't got a top three anymore. We've got a top four. So rather mm-hmm. than that top three, if all those eight cars get into the points, which they should which they should, that only leaves two places to battle for points now. So I think this is going to be something that we're going to see a lot throughout this season. The team that, and I think that the team that is going to be fighting for those points will change from race to race. And I don't know whether this is quite hopeful, but you've got McLaren as well, who haven't even had the chance. They've been so down on luck the past two races. Yes, please play your violin for me. You can't um, see it because podcasts are, are <laughs> sadly not a visual medium in this instance, but I'm currently playing the world's smallest violin on Charlie's behalf. Do continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they haven't had the opportunity to fight for those points yet. So that's just another team that's going to be in for the mix to fight for those, you know, those two remaining spaces for points. And I think that midfield is what is truly going to save this 2023 season for us is that a good thing or a bad thing dre because you know if lance stroll hadn't retired you imagine he would have finished in the points and then none of the i suppose the the little teams would have got any point it would have been k mag and 11th sonoda 12th etc so that 9th and 10th is is becoming so crucial clearly but it all depends on if one of the bigger teams who can score points regularly has uh, retires or has a bad race I think you're right. I think that's also a small part of the problem because on paper, I think we've got a better idea of another critical piece of the puzzle, and that's Alpine. The mm. last time out in Bahrain, it was a bit all over the place because obviously Ocon had the hat trick of penalties, God bless him, and Pierre Gasly had to go from the back of the field to ninth, and now we've had this second race in Saudi Arabia and the Alpines were eighth and ninth. It's almost like Noah's Ark at the front right now where it's the two Red Bulls at the top it's looking like the Aston Martins are genuinely the second best car in the field now. If not, they're certainly in a, in a dogfight between them, Mercedes, who was in a who was to be uh, bred in a uh, Fernando Alonso sandwich in the end, Ferrari, who had a very quiet day and ended up sixth and seventh, who are in that midfield fight, and then the Alpines are eighth and ninth. So it's almost like they're, they're entering the arc two by two, hurrah! And if that's the case, and the top ten might be locked in. We're not going to get fights for points. Like Lance Stroll, as you say, uh, Harry, the fact that Lance Stroll didn't finish the race was what opened the door for that fight for 10th place in the first place. And don't get me wrong, it was a fantastic fight. And Sonoda, what a fighter. He, he, he was two races in a row. He's scrapping for every point he can get. He's doing well. He really is, because I, I think there is a genuine argument that the Alpha Tauri might be the worst car in the field. And yet... Yuki Sonoda has had two very hard, very hard fought, very intense dot, 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 11th place finishes. Now, if there's not very many points to play for in the midfield, then actually those 11th places and the countback rule might actually come into help AlphaTauri down the road in breaking ties up. That could actually come in handy. And 
you're kind of also banking on the odd chaos race where maybe two or three big hitters don't finish and that could jumble the order up a little bit. But I, I think you're right, Harry. I think Alpine slotting in maybe is the fifth best team in the field in, in a Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, and then maybe Alpine Pyramid. The, like six to 10 is genuinely all over the place on this grid. I, I could not tell you right now, somebody put a gun to my head to rank team six through 10 on the grid right now. Mm. The problem is one to five where the points are being paid out actually looks pretty straightforward. And that might be a problem. Yeah. Are you that convinced that Alpine are like fifth like in the middle? Cause I'm not. <laughs> I, I, where I do you think, think they are? I don't know. I just, you know, like where Dre's saying, you know, sixth to tenth. I still think it's fifth to tenth. I'm not. I'm not okay. convinced on those that that second half of that field yet about where they all slot in. And yeah, I I don't know. I I, I, guess, I back that because I think if you look at we've only had two races, right? So yeah. you can only you can only garner so much. But you, you take somebody like um, you look at the McLarens, right? Yeah, you know, pace is still woeful, but they had a, they had a better. Saudi Arabia than they did Bahrain. Look at Valtteri Bottas. What was his weekend? Awful. Nowhere. But he was doing heroics in Bahrain with a P8 finish. Yes, different tracks, different characteristics. People understand their cars with every race they they achieve with them. But I still think, you know, early or early doors in this season, I agree with you, Charlie. I, I still think maybe from fifth down, it is still a little bit all to play for. At least I hope it is. Let's... <laughs> Let's keep our yeah. fingers crossed on that one. I, I think personally points should go down past 10th, but that's a whole debate. Agreed. Agreed. Another, <laughs> another time. We don't have time for the full debate on that. I'll tell you what we do have time for, though, now. Um, it's Dre with the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available, and that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. Said it before, we'll say it again. It was a LinkedIn Jobs advert that alluded me to giving WTF1 my own details, and they ended up coming back to me down the road, and hey, that's how I ended up getting here. So LinkedIn Jobs really does work, and it's so easy. It is to create a free job post on their job site that even I can do it. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you could quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash WTF1. That's linkedin.com slash WTF1 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, look, let's talk about some of the other big moments uh, from the race and some, uh, some of the more popular uh, moments uh, that we all enjoyed uh, in terms of the general weekend as well. Um, well, maybe enjoyed is the wrong word, but some of uh, the things that caught our eye the most, and that was coming into the weekend, Lewis Hamilton and his uh, performance engineer for, what, over seven years now? Uh, nearly a decade, Angela Cullen, uh, going separate ways. Lots of different rumours over this it appeared at first to be a, a simple mutual decision and then Toto Wolf in an interview maybe hinted that well actually Lewis Hamilton decided that that was the end of their working relationship no one has confirmed anything 100% but Dre what does this mean for for Lewis Hamilton we know how kept he is with it is in his circle you know he's he's one of the top performing athletes in the world not just in Formula One how critical is this going to be to his season do you think it's going to have a big effect on him it's impossible to really say because hamilton does such a brilliant job of keeping himself to himself i've i think hamilton's the sort of guy where if he doesn't want us to know what's going on with him we will not know about it and this was a genuine shock as you say angela cullen's been around for seven plus years as one of uh, obviously i think i think the official title is lewis's physiotherapist and what have you okay um but i don't think she was ever officially a mercedes employee um i think it was she was just a really tight part of lewis's inner circle and look are you arguing with lewis hamilton and mercedes Cup about who he's about to keep his company with <laughs> like he's lewis hamilton he does what he basically wants to do and i don't think anyone's going to argue with him on that one i did hear no. toto i did hear toto say that you know it looks like it was a Hamilton decision to cut bait and move on. So, which I think is interesting. I, I don't know whether that's sentiment over the fact that Mercedes are struggling relative to how we normally associate them at the moment. I don't know how much of that is just maybe Angela's got another opportunity elsewhere. I don't know how much of it is Toto Wolf being diplomatic as team principals do because team principals lie. They they stretch the truth. You know, they will say whatever keeps the media sweet sometimes. I don't know. It's it's and you've got to be careful talking about Hamilton because it, talking about him on the internet is such a volatile point of discussion because he is the most popular man in this sport and this is playing out a little bit like a soap opera in that sense. So you, you it's 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 a bit strange. And I I think there's a couple of pieces of this jigsaw puzzle that are missing. Whether it has an effect on its performance, I don't know. Remains to be seen. This wasn't a, a, an amazing weekend for Hamilton. Fifth place on the day was okay, but beaten by his teammate, outqualified George Russell on the podium um, as as it stands right now. So I don't know. It's yeah, it's 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 a lot. I'm, I'm not entirely yeah. sure what's going on there, but uh, it's it's going to get people talking because is there a more famous physiotherapist in the world than Angela Cullen right now? I don't think there well, is. <laughs> no, I mean, Charlie, I mean, we can speculate what we like for, you know, the, the actual inner workings of why they're no longer working together. But what we can certainly say is, my God, what a job she's done over the last few years, right? Is one of the more high profile women in the sport as well, working alongside Lewis. And just you can see the transformation just in how, you know, Lewis is sort of the way he carries himself how he's become more confident as well i don't know how much you can put that on her but i can't imagine you can take a lot away from their working relationship and how much she has contributed to 
the Lewis Hamilton we have today, which is arguably the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to miss her, let alone Lewis. I just like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to miss seeing her little smiley face around. We'll the get her paddock. on the podcast. She's got some more yeah. time now. So. <laughs> yeah. That's an idea. Um, when I posted, like, you know, his Instagram post on social media, I had a lot of like, there was a lot of, you know, like Dre said, he, he's a. He's a controversial character to talk about, old Lewis. Um, and there were comments like, oh, Master has given Dobby a sock, which made me made me laugh more than it should have. But I think it's a case of people not really understanding their relationship that they actually have with each other. They have matching tattoos and everything. Like, she was more than just his physiotherapist. She was arguably his closest friend. And I personally think it could have an effect on him but not physically. I don't think it's going to affect his performance on track, but mentally she kept him so grounded and so focused. And I think that's the kind of things, which I mean, I guess you could say, you know, if he starts losing that part of him could have an effect to what he does on track, but yeah, it is very sad. I mean, I don't overly believe anything that comes out of Toto Wolf's mouth. Um, so <laughs> whether he's telling the truth there, I don't know. But I did see an interview with Lewis um, that the media had asked him, like, oh, do you care to elaborate on what happened? And he was like, no, and walked off with his head down. And that kind of that says to me that, I mean, she, he said that they, they, she'd literally been texting him all weekend with like love, love and support. So it's obviously ended amicably, which says to me that there's something deeper that's gone on behind Mercedes or with Toto there, but that's just speculation. Interesting. I mean, Lewis was a bit short all weekend, I think, in, in his interviews for certain, but how much <laughs> that, that was to do with that and the on-track performances, it's obviously not going Lewis's way at the moment. Um, no word on if he's going to have a replacement to Angela or or, uh, or if he's going to just go solo. So we wait to see how that one plays out, really. Um, but if we switch to some on-track action again, uh, Dre, uh, one of the main uh, interesting battles that we got on track wasn't necessarily overtaking, but it was the battle for the fastest lap point between the two Red Bulls. Um, and it felt very political to me over the team radio about how fast they should be going. Sergio Perez, very keen for Red Bull to just take it easy. Let's just let's just secure this one too. Max Verstappen kind of ignoring team radio orders a little bit and just going hell for leather on that final lap to nick that point for fastest lap, which means that Sergio Perez didn't get it. In turn, he doesn't lead the world championship at the moment. I mean, it underlines that Red Bull is bloody quick at the moment either way. Every available point on the table that uh, has been on offer has been taken by Red Bull. Bahrain didn't get a fastest lap point because Joe Guan Yu took it and he was outside of the top 10. So Red Bull's batting perfect. They're batting a thousand at the moment, if you like your baseball, for, for a term there for you. They are perfect at the moment. And yeah, it, it's an interesting one because... <laughs> We did, I did hear those radio messages as well. And like, I remember at one point they were telling Perez, well, target's 32-6 and like, oh, you know, like, like, I, thought it was, I thought it was a 33-0. It's four temps out. And then well, what was Max's last lap? So Perez clearly was keeping a mental note of where Max was in relation to him. And of course, like Max was obviously looking for every advantage he can get. I don't think he had the raw pace to beat Perez on the day in this occasion. But of course, any opportunity to take an extra point is going to be gone for here because that's how championships work at the end of the day. I do think it just doubles down on what we kind of already knew at Brazil at the end of last season. You can't control Max Verstappen. 
Like Red Bull has created this monster, and and it's it's very Frankenstein. You know, Christian Horner yeah. is, is, is Doctor <laughs> Frankenstein. He's created this monster of a driver. He's he is a a, a generational talent. He's hard, it's hard to argue. He's not the best driver in the world right now. But we've seen and heard it on the radio before. Max Verstappen is petulant. He has ignored team orders on multiple occasions. He's not prepared to play the team game. He low-key may or may not have accused Perez of crashing on purpose at Monaco last year. And he may or may not have been bitter about that. And now we've seen another example where he's ignored his team. They tried to squash the talk of fastest lap from the team on radio, and Max has gone for it anyway, and then stolen one, and basically pulled Perez's pants down on the final lap of the race to get that extra point. It, it's it, and I, Perez clearly didn't have a clue what was going on because I think he found out after the race in in uh, and before he got on the podium. Oh, you got fastest lap, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait, what's happened here then? Um, and it was it it makes for great entertainment, but. I don't think Red Bull can control Max Verstappen on the radio anymore. And I think this may end up being a continuous problem if Perez is more competitive. Because I think a lot of people want it to be this dramatic situation because partly because I think look, Red Bull look like they're going to dominate this season. There's no getting around that. And the only chance maybe of anybody else getting in might be Red Bull related drama internally. Mm. Uh, and if that happens, it, it it's going to have to come down to Perez being more competitive because if not, and Verstappen dominates every single weekend, it's not going to matter what Perez wants when he's running second all the time. The main reason we had drama was because Perez was in complete control of the race pretty much from lap 16. Yeah, but Charlie, isn't Sergio Perez the number two driver? Isn't that what he's employed to do? And that's his position and that's how it is. No, no, <laughs> no. Do we want? Do we want <laughs> to have the Mark Webber, Sebastian Vettel, multi twenty one sort of twenty twelve era again? Is that what we want? I don't know if it's a want, but I think it's definitely something that we could get. I mean, me and Dre got into quite a bit of a debate on this on the on the WTF one stream, but I think politics could come out to play quite a lot this season. I know it's really easy to sit here and say Checo is number two. But after today, he literally could have been leading the championship. Like and 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 you can sit there and say, Oh, that's because, you know, Verstappen had to start in P fifteen. That is Formula One. You take advantage of the of the things that you are given, of the opportunities that you are given. And I think Perez is quite underrated, underrated as a driver. Do I think he's on the same level as Verstappen? No, but you can't deny how quick that Red Bull is. And when team politics come into play, it can mess with the mentality of the drivers as well. You only need to look at like, you know, 2016 with Nico and Lewis to see that. Do I think it's going to get that far? No, because I think Red Bull will probably put a stop to it. Um, I think, you know, we've already seen a little bit of that today. Checo has said that he had received different information to what Max had regarding getting the fastest lap. Um, but at what point does it get to when Checo just refuses to take those orders? The thing is, is that this is only the fourth time Sergio Perez has beaten Verstappen head to head since they were teammates. This is the problem. Like, I feel like this would be a problem if Perez was genuinely giving Verstappen something to think about over the course of a championship. He isn't. And there's no proof of that over a full season that Perez can do that yet. Uh, don't get me wrong. 
let's not forget, Perez gave up the win in Catalonia last year. He was leading that race, and then they told him to pull aside for Verstappen, and he did. At that point, I think Perez lost all negotiating power with anything to do with Red Bull because Perez was prepared to give up a win to appease the team. So I don't think at this point that there's any way back for Perez politically in this fight with Red Bull unless he absolutely smokes Verstappen week to week. And there's no evidence that Perez can do that. That's the problem I've got with all of this. Verstappen's well, too good. Well, today, today was the evidence, right? 5.3 seconds, the gap at the end. Max started 15th. Yeah, but the safety car meant he was right up behind him. And any advantage that Perez had from Verstappen starting 15th was gone. Perez wasn't really racing Verstappen today. He was racing Alonso. And, and it's clear Red Bull still has the number on, on Aston Martin. I think that's the problem because that's what happened on the restart. Perez took off. Joe dropped his the full amount of pace that he had right from the restart. Verstappen still had two cars to overtake. And by the time he cleared Alonso and got into second, that's when that five second gap was there. And after that, like they were pretty much dead level. I think Max was probably a little bit quicker, maybe by a tenth or two in terms of ultimate pace. But Perez had enough in hand where Verstappen was never really a threat, especially when well, well, like, that's my the drives off exactly. issue kicked in. But there's no evidence of that over a full season. On a good day, no. Perez could do that. But Perez has only ever won four races for Red Bull. Verstappen's won, what, 36? <laughs> like, this, there's a bit of a gap uh, yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think it's important to remember that I suppose Perez has come into a team that is built around one driver. You know, he's come in and he's been the only driver out of their the last five years to have actually shown Max Verstappen any kind of, um, well, obviously, support in terms of he's happy to... to move over in a race but also to challenge him and to be in that number two spot you know since probably mark Webber was to vettel or you know vettel ricardo were pretty tightly matched but hey we are second race of the season so <laughs> there's still a long way to go um well look let's let's round things off shall we with our wtf1 podium uh so dre charlie i would like you to please nominate from the race your star performer your worst performer and uh the biggest surprise from the Grand Prix, and you can do this at home as well. Let us know, get in touch uh, on the uh, WTF1 social channels. We'd love to hear uh, your podium too. Who wants to go first? Who's ready? Dre, hands up. Over to you. Well, you know what? I'll come to you. I want both both of you first. Star performer. Let's start there. So, Dre, give me a star performer. This is going to sound a bit weird, given what I just said previously, going off the fan talking points. I'm going to say Sergio Perez. <laughs> I know it sounds really <laughs> okay. Look, I'm taking this race in a vacuum and Perez did exactly what he needed to do in this race. And it was actually quite refreshing to see that given the scenario he was in, that Verstappen was trying to chase him down in open air for the, for the majority of that race. Perez had enough pace in hand to be able to hold Verstappen off. I don't think he was ultimately quicker than Max on the day, but it was maybe by only a tenth or two a lap. And I think that is exactly what Red Bull need from Sergio Perez. We're not saying that, you know, he's got to beat Verstappen week in, week out. But at the bare minimum, if you can run him close, you will win more races on your day like this. And yeah, I think that was a very, very good performance. Controlled the race. I think most people would probably think Verstappen is a better driver than Perez overall. And I think you'd be right to think that. So for Perez to hold him off in pretty convincing fashion... That might be his best drive in F1 since joining Red Bull. And 
that is exactly what Red Bull would be hoping for from him going into this season. So for me, star performer Sergio Perez. Okay, Charlie. Mine was mine was the same, Checo, for the nice. exact same reasons, but a bit more positive, Dre, because I've been, you know, I've been positive about him this whole podcast, haven't I? Oh, okay. <laughs> It's like that then. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Well, Sergio Perez uh, does the double then uh, for you two as your star <laughs> performer. Uh, Charlie, let's start with you on this one then. Worst performer. This one is going to make me very sad to say. And also probably I will maybe get kicked out of the papaya club once I say this. But I am going to go with Lando Norris. Oh. I don't like the word worst. Because I don't think any of them are the worst at what they do. They are 20 of the best drivers in the world, but sometimes they make mistakes. And I think in general, not just Lando, but McLaren, have they are the worst performer of the weekend for me. Because, and it does kill me to say this, um, but Lando has had a generally difficult weekend. He didn't do, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't there at practice. He, he fluffed up his qualifying as, you know, yeah. <laughs> very easily mistake. yeah and then you know he went into the race and you know it was his opportunity to kind of make up some you know make some ground climb up the grid like he usually does and there was just nothing I mean I, I pointed out in the stream earlier there was a point where we were fighting Williams for like 15th and for me that's just quite embarrassing so I wouldn't I wouldn't pinpoint this on on Lando specifically but I think McLaren are my worst performers. Dre? That's fair, because I was going to say Oscar Piastri specifically. It was such a shame for him because he, I think he had a brilliant qualifying session. He put it P8 on the grid, P9 on the road at the time. You know, first Q3 and just his second qualifying session. I thought that was a really strong performance um, from from him in qualifying. And then 20 seconds into the race, he damages his front wing and has to immediately get his front wing changed. And that's effectively his race over because we're all expecting a bunch of safety cars to, to bring the field together. And we only had the one in the end. And well, by that point, everybody was going to do in, was going to go into the pits anyway, because it was a one-stop race from the start. So it was, Piastri's race was effectively ruined straight away and that's a real shame and uh, don't get me wrong i don't think there was like an obvious oh this guy was terrible this like during this race contender so i, I kind of have to pick somebody it's probably oscar piastri unfortunately for that reason and it's a shame because uh i think he, he i think i don't think this mclaren is slow i think they genuinely have a bit of pace and they had a chance to get a good result starting from eighth on the grid and it's kind of been ruined unfortunately well oh, fair, i mean fair enough I think it's a bit harsh, but fair enough. <laughs> um, I, I would have gone for Valtteri Bottas, but nobody, nobody's asking me. Uh, finally, biggest surprise, please. Your biggest surprise performer, Charlie, of the Grand Prix. Mine is, drum roll, please, Yuki Tsunoda. Oh, good old I Yuki. Think, yeah, I think he's done a really incredible job so far this season. I know we're only two races in, but he's had a very good start compared to, you know, the last two of his. Um, he managed to climb six positions during that race. I'm just really impressed. He seems to have taken Franz Doss' harsh words to heart and really has been driving like he's driving to keep his seat, which is probably likely. So, yeah, yeah he's mine. Yeah. Great. 
I, I, I hate to be on the same page as Charlie again. It's actually quite disturbing how much we're agreeing with each other here. But again, I have to say Yuki Tsunoda. I mean, I part of me wanted to say, you know, Max, but I'm not surprised that all he ended up finishing second in the end, given how dominant Red Bull have been. Yuki Tsunoda is fighting for every yard he can get. I mean, I think for a lot of people, he's fighting for his job. He's in a very high-pressure scenario against Nick DeFries, an experienced He's not he's not your average rookie. He's a very experienced rookie. I mean, he's an FIA world champion, no matter which way you slice it. He uh, he is a world champion in another series. He's got a lot of experience. He was a very good Formula 2 driver. He was the number four man in that. I call it the triple crown year when Russell, Norris and Albon all went up together. The mm. freeze was kind of the forgotten man. So like the freeze, I think, has always had talent. So this was going to be like the big test for Sonoda post-Gasly. I think it's kind of okay to not be as good as Pierre, but if the freeze is coming in and beating you, then that's pretty much you out of a job. So if Sonoda's coming in, taking the leadership reins of that team and showing clear determination and fighting spirit on track, even if there's no points to show for it, I think he's driven very, very well so far this season. And 11th was, it doesn't do his result justice as far as I'm concerned. Because I think he, he drove to the bitter end to try and get that point off Kevin Magnussen, just like he did in Bahrain when it was him versus Alex Albon. Uh, so yeah, for me, surprise performer, Yuki Sonoda. Great job from him. Yep, I agree. That point will come, Yuki. That point will come <laughs> eventually. And hopefully he uh, retains that race seat if he keeps performing like that. Uh, well, look, that is just about it for the WTF1 Saudi Arabia Race Review podcast. Uh, we'll leave you, shall we, with the latest news that we're hearing on this Fernando Alonso reinstation, uh, reinstating of a podium. We're hearing that uh, Aston Martin did request a right of review uh, from the FIA. That went in their favour and they're still waiting on the official documents to be published. But the decision looks like it has been reversed and he looks like he is set to regain third place. That's the latest coming from journalists at in the F1 paddock at the moment. So Fernando Alonso back in third. Uh, you can keep up to date with all the latest uh, on WTF1 as well. Make sure you give us a follow on our social media and you can uh, rate and review the podcast, like and subscribe the YouTube channel as well. Uh, but that is it. I've been Harry Benjamin. My thanks to Dre Harrison and to Charlie Williams. Uh, we'll be back for another review in a couple of weeks' time after Australia in Melbourne. Oh, that'll be an early one for the UK audience at least. <laughs> but for everybody else, for the Australians, they'll absolutely love it. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a US-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.